Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I have the great pleasure today of telling you that the long darkness we've been under will soon disappear as Amazon has announced it's planning to open a distribution centre in Ireland, meaning soon we will be able to stop using the German Amazon. Michael, how have you been? Much better now that the great news about the Amazon god having come to feed our cargo cult. It's uh, it's wonderful news, Gary. Wonderful. Would that mean that they'll organise everything else logistically in the country if we ask them nicely? I think it's it's probably best that we just pass this over to the God King. Hail Bezos. Anyway, today we are going to go through the AstraZeneca uh, development since last we spoke. We're going to go through uh, the issue with GameStop, uh, Wall Street Bets, and uh, the Stonks, Michael. And also the HSE has explained why it hasn't been up- able to update a website with daily vaccination numbers. So I just wanted to mention that. But before we go we go into that, there's just a, a small uh, thing I wanted to mention. And I'm going to apologise in advance because this is going to ha- sound in parts like some hippie bullshit. <laughs> Put that out there right now. Yeah, okay. Someone was talking to me after the last podcast about the Italian government and why it was so unstable. It keeps falling and why a lot of these European countries seem to be so unstable. They just go with the drop of a hat. And I was making the point, and I think this is a point you've made before on the podcast, Michael, that Italian politics, for all its apparent instability, is actually incredibly stable. Absolutely. I mean, not quite as stable, maybe, as it used to be in the old days when it would fall every other six months. But it was always the same government at the end of the day. But yeah, very stable. Same faces, always the same people. Same policies as well. There's a useful kind of idea there that's useful in politics, but also useful in in looking at tons of stuff and tons of stats. I think the easiest way to explain it is, is the difference between the ocean and Earth. If people look at the ocean and you see the surface of it, and it's incredibly tempestuous and very malleable and um, can be you know, perfectly calm one second and then just outrageously aggressive the next. But under that, it's actually pretty calm. It's only on the surface that it's actually it's actually so so aggressive and so malleable for the most part. And lots of stuff is, is like that. Like Italian politics looks tempestuous. Until you realise the same people have been around since 1950. Yeah. And they just changed the order of it. And in the same way you have, like, you, you have Earth, so it looks very stable, looks perfectly fine, like nothing can move it. But if you look at what's underneath it, it's just all of these unimaginably violent forces slamming against each other. And occasionally you end up with something like an earthquake where Earth will literally flow like water. Anyway, that's just a general hippie-ish note on the issue with just looking at stuff briefly and assuming it is as it appears to be. Uh, are, are, are we are we expecting a revolution here anytime soon ourselves? No, we're too apathetic for that, I think. Revolution requires a little bit of get up and go. So we'll go into um, what's happening with GameStop and Wall Street Bets and the like. But before we start, I want to just... The best thing about this has been the memes and the good old-fashioned fun. But I just wanted to start with one tweet, which I think summarizes the entire thing. And I'm going to present it without explanation and then move on. And I'm doing this from my mind, so it may be slightly different than the tweet is written. And the tweet was written as this. You think this is funny? You think MBAs losing their jobs and having to go work as an Uber driver is funny? You think someone having to go into their boss and explain that they lost $2 billion to Potato Fucker 69 is funny? (laughs) Yes. Yes, very. Yeah, I saw one tweet said, do you realise there are people out there who are losing their money who have more than three or even four boats to support? <laughs> I very much enjoyed the sort of um, 
everyone hates short sellers. So there's just a sort of, oh, did you go bankrupt? <laughs> You're going to have to work in McDonald's. <laughs> For those who haven't been paying attention, GameStop is a retailer. It uh, sells video games. It's, it's a long-standing company, but it kind of... People have been looking at it and going, it doesn't really have a purpose anymore. It's a little bit like the... A little bit like it's heading towards being a blockbusters version of a computer game. Yeah, that's the thing. Is we see more online distribution coming direct from, you know, Sony, Microsoft. Uh, there's less and less need to actually go into a physical shop, and you're seeing people. You're seeing these companies sell direct to consumers. So GameStop, for the last couple of years, people have been kind of going, well, what is the point of this company? Like, it's it's eventually just going to die because its purpose doesn't really exist anymore in large part. Like, people still go in to buy video games, but it's very clearly on the way out at this point. Yes. And so because of that, there's been an expectation that it would go bankrupt. And that led to a situation in which people started heavily shorting the stock price of GameStop. Now, we'll go into what a short is because it's important to know. Basically what happened is a Reddit forum realised that um, GameStop actually is in absolutely no threat of bankruptcy. It has enough cash on hand to cover its debts. And it actually looked, you know, okay. Like, not amazing, but not terrible. But it was, its stock was trading at like 20 cent. So basically what's happened over the last while is the, basically a Reddit forum has decided to invest in this stock and brought it last year from a price of about 20 cents a stock to, I think, nearly $400 at one point here. So I saw one guy and he had bought at 20 cents a stock. And when he posted up his brokerage account, the the overview screen, he his stock had gone up, I think, 163,000% in value. <laughs> Still low. It's not bad, is it? So you might think, okay, so a load of Reddit users have inflated the price of a uh, video game producer. Why the hell does that matter? And it matters because of the shorts and the nature of shorts and how they differ from normal um, normal stock. Effectively, what a short is, is you borrow a security. In, in this case, you borrow stock and you sell it at whatever the price is. So let's say it's selling at $100. You sell it and you make an agreement that you will return that stock at a later point. And what you're betting on is that the price falls before that point. So you sold it for 100, you buy it back for 50, you give it back to the original owner at the agreed date, and then you keep 50 and that is your profit. Mm -hmm. It is not a difficult concept to explain, although when you, I find when you tell people what it is, the general response is, and why would you do that? How do you, how do you borrow stock? It's not so much, you're betting against a future price, really, aren't you? You are, and short sellers are deeply unpopular with businesses because they're effectively betting on you to fail. Yeah, and there's a sense they can be destabilizing, that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, that if you bet against, if you bet that a stock is going to fall, then the stock falls because people lose confidence. Yeah, and short sellers have a tendency of briefing journalists against a company and coming out and explaining in quite aggressive terms why they took the short position. And basically doing everything they can to cause a crisis of confidence in you that will cause other investors to pull out and destroy your share value. And then they'll make a fortune. The problem with shorting is this. If you invest 100 euro in stocks and the stock value goes to zero, you have lost 100 euro. But that's it. You cannot lose more. There is a limit on loss. You have 
potentially infinite gain if the price of the stock keeps infinitely increasing, but there is a limit on how much money you can lose. Shorts invert that. So there's a limit on how much you can gain because if the if the stock value goes to zero, which would only really happen if the company goes bankrupt, you don't have to buy back the stocks at all and you make whatever the difference is between zero and the uh, the price you sold it at originally. Now, if mm-hmm. it goes near zero, you whatever the basis is that zero is your floor. You can make whatever level of profit between the price you bought it at and zero. The problem is this. You have made a contractually binding agreement to have that stock and give it back to its original owner. So if the stock price goes up, let's say you sold it for 100 euro and instead of going to 50, it goes to 200. You have to buy it, which means in shorts, the potential gain is limited, but the potential loss is unlimited. Because if that stock goes up to a thousand euro a stock, you have to buy it. And generally as well with stocks, whoever borrowed it to you has the right to request that you return it. If you are a short seller and the price starts spiking upwards, you run into a very real risk that the people you borrowed it from, wanting to sell at that higher price, will request that you return it, in which case you need to buy it. But they say is they call us. They call us in. What has happened here is that GameStop was actually... (laughs) I'll move back a little bit. So in September last year, a guy, a Reddit poster called Deep Fucking Value posted on a forum called Wall Street Bets. And Wall Street Bets is... The the forum's description is a 4chan uh, access to Bloomberg terminal. And that's pretty good. They, um... They've been around for a good while. Basically a forum interested in investment, but they're also kind of, they are kind of 4chan-ish. They are kind of cliquish and not politically correct. And they're just sort of uh, irreverent in general. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this guy turns up on Wall Street Bets last September. And uh, he posts up he's buying GameStop stock, which is dog shit. Like it's trading at nothing. And he posts up and he keeps every month coming forward, basically his position in GameStop. And... He's kind of belittled and ignored, but eventually people start looking into it and they realize a couple of things. One, they realize that GameStop is in no danger of going under at the minute. And then they realize a second thing. They realize that GameStop has been shorted 140% of the value of its float. (laughs) So that makes a realization that the price of GameStop is being artificially held down by people shorting it, by people trying to drive down the price. And it's trading at basically nothing. They kind of realise there, if it's not going to collapse, and it's only the short sellers who are causing this, what happens if we all just start investing in it? Yeah, I just, it, there's, there, there's a moment in when a company's value has been driven down by whatever reason that you may reach a point, and this, I think was ha- this is what happened here, that just simply with its cash reserves, just the cash reserves and the basic structure, it's like sometimes you, a company will, the, 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 because the business isn't maybe going so well, it, the, and people think, oh, well, it's going, it's going, it's going. They drive the price just so low. But then somebody notices, actually, just the property that it stands on is worth more than that. And they think, you know what? They've actually, this is now a company which is, and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a theoretical risk. It's not a business risk. It's just, this. They, they actually have enough money in the bank to make, to make this company worth more than what, that, what the price is saying. So it becomes, it, at a certain point, it became very obvious what was, that this that the, the 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 cap value just wasn't really related to the actual value and it was not being manipulated but it was being artificially pushed down yeah and just just on uh, what it means to say that something is shorted uh, 140% of its float the float would be 
And I've actually I've seen conflicting rumors here. Some saying that it's one hundred and forty percent of the float that it was um, that it was shorted by, and some saying it was one hundred and forty percent of the total shares. Now, if that was the case, um, they would have the actual float would have been shorted by God knows maybe hundreds of percent. So, what a float is is a company. Let's say a company has a hundred stocks, but eighty of those are held by the family who own it, or they're held by employees who can't. Uh, share it or long-term institutional interest that's highly unlikely to uh, sell it. They would be restricted and closely held stock. So shares that are not being traded. Yeah, so the float would be 20 uh, shares because that is what will be traded. So to be to be shorted for 140% of uh, your float means that every share had been shorted more than once that they could get access to. And the way that would basically work is one hedge fund would uh, borrow it and sell it, and then someone else would borrow it and sell it. And so you were creating these daisy chains where if there was ever a moment where that was all called in together, the prices would go mental. Yeah, we've never had this before. We've never had anything like this ever happen before, have we, Gary? When things are tied in daisy chains together and then when one thing goes, it all starts to go. It's always a good idea in a financial system, isn't it? Oh, yeah, no, it's a fantastic thing. So basically what happened here is when these Redditors drove the price up, because there's no limit on the losses that these guys can take, hedge funds started taking losses that were, or potential losses that were being estimated to be in the billions. 80 billion. I mean, one serious number guy said that the the total exposure of loss was going to be 80 billion on a company that wasn't worth a fraction of that. I mean, literally a fraction. There has, I think the 80 billion is short sellers across the economy, whereas on GameStop, I think you're looking at um, like 5 billion indirect losses. Now, the hedge funds that have paid in to have closed their positions, so they've realized most of those losses. These people have lost, I'd say somewhere between 2 and $5 billion just on this. Now, interestingly enough, when this was happening, a lot of the trading platforms actually started to shut down your ability to buy these stocks. So small-time, what are called retail investors, couldn't buy them, but they could still sell them. Now, the exchanges and, and, and the apps are saying that this was done to protect from market volatility. The problem there is that large institutional investors could still buy the shock, uh, the stocks, which effectively meant that they could just sit there, basically try and wait till people sold the shares because people would panic and they would just sell and then the hedge funds could pick them up and basically cover some of their losses. What actually seemed to happen is that Wall Street bets got pissed off about it and uh, politicians in America started getting involved and saying that this could be construed as a blatant market manipulation. There are some class action lawsuits being brought forward. Yeah. And it has not reflected well on hedge funds in general, actually, because the way people are doing this is this was normal people who did what hedge funds would normally do and slaughtered a hedge fund. And, you know, it's such a it's so unusual because normally people are so positive and warm about hedge funds. By doing that, by being able to effectively artificially halt the increases in price by basically removing the ability of large portions of the market to buy, they managed to cover uh, quite a lot or well stop a lot of potential losses. So I would imagine even if they are found to have manipulated something, the fines would in no way compare to the money they've saved. It depends. Depends. The FDA can, if it's in the mode, I mean, the the kind of 
the, of fines that are available to them, not the FDA, the, S, the SEC, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, I don't think it's involved in that. If they want, the SEC can levy some fairly substantial ones, and it all depends on, I say it depends on the, poli on the politics, how much they want to make a political show of obeisance to the to the uh, the the public out there that Wall Street is listening and it understands that it wants to be clean and sensible and balanced and Joe Biden is president and we don't want this kind of nonsense going on or they may just do nothing. So effectively, um, yeah, this didn't quite bring down a hedge fund, or there, although there was talk that it was on uh, the verge of going bankrupt, but basically a load of um, shit posters on Reddit have effectively crippled a uh, billion dollar hedge fund by pretty much just nonsense really but this is i mean it was weird when they when they shut down all the the ability to trade and said it was for to avoid market volatility and overexposure to risk they, they didn't they didn't stop people from putting their entire life savings into other things it was purely these stocks that they start to focus on and if you want to talk about risk of volatility and potential loss shorts which are perfectly accepted, are incredibly risky. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm told by people that are, um, are in this the world of finance that hedge funds serve a useful purpose and shorts is a reasonable thing to do in certain circumstances. And it's all about efficiencies of markets and stuff. I don't know. At times it seems reasonable and at times that just seems like they're just making shit up. But uh, this is just has been funny. I mean, I mean that's the, that I think has been the high point of it. Like seeing Elon Musk, who hates short sellers, get involved. I'm not sure if one of the hedge funds involved in this shorted Tesla because Tesla is famously shorted. Yeah, there's a sense with Tesla, isn't there? There is that sense with Tesla, and I, and, and I have to say this have a bit myself that eventually they will have to just. You know, you can't go on losing that amount of money and spending that amount of money with a market cap like that. It can't go on forever. Eventually, you either have to start making money or you have to start or you have to collapse. And they've been waiting for that day for, you know, for quite a while now. Actually, Tesla's financials are interesting when you look at them. Like they're, they're selling regulatory credits to other automakers for hundreds of millions. I mean, it's just... It's it's odd. Like I can absolutely see why people would short it, but historically that has not worked. I think Musk, if Musk is not is an incredible entrepreneur when it comes to the state, more than anybody in in in, in modern memory, his capacity to creatively farm the subsidies and wealth transfers created by the United States government has been spectacular. But whether that's a long-term business plan or not, I don't know. Trading is, is going to resume today. By the time this goes up, trading on most of these apps will be put back in place. However, it is absolutely true that there is massive risk in these shares. The underlying price of them was not zero. They're unlikely to go bankrupt. But it's not several hundred dollars either. So people who managed to get in at 20 cent and get out at $400 have made absolute fortunes. Weirdly enough, the guy involved in the um, Michael Burry, you might have, he was a, if you've seen the big short, he's the guy yeah. in that. He's made something like 580 million 
shorting this, or sorry, not shorting it, um, investing in GameStop. Ha! Really? 592 million uh, on Wednesday was the valuation from a 17 million position. Oh! Yeah, so it turns out that uh, he may have seen uh, Deep Fucking Value's posts and decided to look into it himself, but Deep Fucking Value won ev- beat everyone to it. And Deep Fucking Value, the last time I saw his um, his uh, his gains in this, although the last time I saw he had not sold anything because he has what the Wall Street lads would call the uh, the diamond hands. It was something like 50 million on an initial spend of... They, they said that... I think the last thing I saw was there was a touch over 48 million <laughs> from uh, yeah, a standing start, basically. <laughs> the thing is, I, I, I hope that the guy isn't so ideologically or philosophically committed <coughs> to the whole idea of just shit. Of, not this is not shit post. This shit shit trading. That he isn't. That he is actually capable of saying, "Okay, I'm going to take my profit now." So the if you if you bought stock in this, well, firstly, congratulations on your winning if you bought in early enough, uh, and secondly get out at some point it's hard to tell when exactly the right time to get out will be because it's gone down to I think about $190 a share that might rally again today but this is fundamentally basically a speculative uh, investment at this point this is effectively gambling Yeah, I remember being told many months ago by an old Italian banker who was trying who decided to try and learn English at the age of, I don't know, something like, somewhere between Noah and Methuselah, and it wasn't a, no, I was going to say it wasn't a pleasant experience for myself or himself, it was a pleasant experience. Little English was learned, but he said, Michael, there's one way to make sure you are a very poor man. The man who tries to buy at the bottom and sell at the top, he will always lose money. Buy when it's cheap, sell when it's good. After that, if other people make more money than you, be happy for them. Well, that's the thing. But it's it's psychologically very difficult to just check out. And we saw that with Bitcoin. Tons of people. Bitcoin, well, Bitcoin is massively rallying again. But the last time this happened, tons of people lost massive amounts of money by not getting out before that collapse. And you could say over the long term with Bitcoin, that has proved to be a good position. The problem here is that if you're looking at this from like an underlying value perspective... There's not a value that that supports this valuation. There's there's nothing about GameStop. It wasn't where it was, but it definitely is not where it should be. Now, having said that, that doesn't really matter. Have you ever heard about the um, greater fool theory? Yeah. Basically, the it's actually it's slightly more complicated than this, but just to to break it down, it's a, it basically says that uh, it doesn't matter if a stock is overvalued because price doesn't matter on value price um, or the actual value is determined by uh, demand so if there's someone you can offload the stock onto for hundreds of dollars great that's its value and as long as you're not the last fool you're still winning but you never want to be the last fool because then you've no one to sell it to the correct price is the price of the market will bear at any one time and if the market is the guy in front and he can be he's willing to pay now, Gary, can we just make it? Nothing we are saying should be used as advice as on investments, and do not try to do this, and do not try to do this at home. Yeah, 
I just I would I would prefer someone not have that moment where they realize they've got, you know, 15 million on paper based on an investment of a couple of hundred and then they end up with nothing at the end of it. We call those Bank of Ireland shares. Well, yes, those are Bank of Ireland. Don't Bank of Ireland share yourself. It still hurts, Gary. It still hurts. Two, there are two things I've really enjoyed about this, though. One is that it reminds me of how the internet used to be. Like, the internet used to be fun and anarchic. <laughs> and you didn't post things wondering if you would lose your job for posting it. Because yeah. in five years, someone will dig it out and say that you meant something you clearly didn't mean. It used to just be fun. Mm. And this, more than anything else, and looking at the enjoyment the Wall Street Bet guys are getting in it, is fun. It is funny. It's also made a great deal of people, a great deal of money, which is a bit of a problem to the trading platforms because normally you wouldn't have to worry about people threatening legal actions. But now you're dealing with people who have made potentially tens of millions of dollars. Threatening legal actions. Yeah. And they might have had no money several weeks ago. But now they can afford very good legal teams. Very, very nice lawyers indeed. (laughs) I very much enjoyed that. And I've also very much enjoyed the pushback from some of the institutional investors and hedge funds that we've seen in the media, where they basically go mental and say that this is not how a market is meant to function. And it's meant to be this very respectable thing. And we would never do such a thing. And you sort of look at it and go, that's... That's just not true, though, is it? I mean, I'm sure many investment uh, bankers and hedge fund professionals, Michael, are fine people. But to say that they would only ever engage in the sort of work that, you know, is is long-term structural building and important to the functioning of marketing, as opposed to stuff that's nakedly just designed to make money despite you know, anything else, hmm. would be interesting. And there is, there is one actually final thing that I thought was interesting. Robinhood, which is the app that most of these guys use because you don't pay fees on it. And if you want to make a lot of uh, small trades pretty quickly, not paying fees is pretty much necessary. Robinhood shut down its app. Now, there are people saying that Robinhood is partially owned by some of the funds that were involved in this. And that there is a conflict of interest there because... When the platform shut down, it gave these funds time to recover and try and uh, rationalize their position. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. But what I did find interesting is that Robinhood apparently, because people don't pay fees, uh, makes a lot of its money trading data to hedge funds. So it's giving uh, information on investment patterns of its users to hedge funds, which those hedge funds can then use to shape their own investment decisions. But I'm quite interested to see what information they give over, because if they, let's say they give over information on where stop losses are. Mm-hmm. So a stop loss, for those who don't know, is basically an automated sell point. You say, if the price goes to this, sell. Sir, that's what I didn't get. That Nobody had any stop losses. What was the problem? What was this? What was what's that about? Well, I think um, this is pretty new. Like Short squeezes happen, but generally not like this. Um, there is also an involvement of a thing called a gamma squeeze, which we've kind of spent too much time talking about this already. So I'll link to something in the actual, um, below the podcast that will actually explain that if you're interested. But if Michael, if these guys were giving information on stop losses to hedge funds, hedge funds would be able to figure out if there's any point where a critical mass of stop losses are on any particular stock. 
And basically that would mean their headphones, if this information was given over and we don't know who it was, would be able to say, if we can bring this from 120 to 113, this amount of stop losses will activate and that will drive the price down to this. And then that, if they're lucky, will activate more stop losses. And effectively they could use this to pretty explicitly manipulate stock prices into something that's advantageous for them. So I'd be very interested to see if that was the kind of information they were giving over. Having said that, Robinhood is um, not well received at the minute and its CEO has gone on TV to try and explain it. And all he did was make him look like a person that you would not want having control over your money in any way, shape or form. <laughs> but so this is an interesting thing. It's fun. It may devastate a couple of hedge funds and a couple of people may get very rich off this. The interesting thing now is that Wall Street Bet has started talking about other shares. And it looks like they basically had a look at the most heavily shorted shares they could find picked out the ones they thought would be funniest and are now trying to invest in those. So, like, Nokia. Nokia, well, I'm sure Nokia, you know, actually, Nokia does stuff. I mean, it doesn't make phones maybe anymore, but I'm sure Nokia does that. Is it, um... Oh, it makes actually quite a lot of uh, money because it makes money on, I think, every iPhone sold. Yeah, it has lots of patents on little bits and pieces of technology. Let's say, let's say, let's accept... There is some rational to Nokia, whatever about it. What about this one, though, Michael? The um, Blockbuster, or more exactly, Rune of Blockbuster that was set up to liquidate Blockbuster. Blockbuster liquidating Inc. has gone up 700%. Um, now, to my knowledge, there is still a Blockbuster open somewhere in the state of Oregon. I remember reading this recently. There is a... I just want to know why. Why is there a town in Oregon that still rents DVDs, presumably, rather than than videos? I just think that's fantastic. I, I, like, I like the confusion that the Blockbuster thing has caused in a lot of, um, a lot of finance commentators. Because they're like, why would anyone do this? And you sort of go, because it's gone up 700%. Yeah. They want to make money on it. They're also kind of making a point, I suppose. That if you can take a company which is... Which has maybe on on the face of it no intrinsic value, because Blockbuster was all franchise. I mean, it's not that Blockbuster had or did it had a, a large part property portfolio that ended up being massively undervalued when the liquidation went through. It was a franchise thing, so it has effectively no value. The brand does the brand have value? No, like it's it's been in liquidation since like it declared bankruptcy in two thousand and ten. I suppose the point they're making is you can take something which is actually worth nothing. You can take a piece of dog shit, and if you have the money to drive it, you can make the price of that piece of dog shit go up seven times. And may and is that what you want in your economics, in your financial system? Well, I think that's the thing. Like it's great as long as you're not the last fool. And if you're the last fool, you're going to lose a lot of money. But that's the thing. You can be a fool. You just can't be the last fool. And that the problem there, Gary, is it's very hard to distinguish that from Pyramid Scheme. Yeah, which, I, I mean, there was some merit to saying that they were closing it due to volatility. Um, because you're people putting down tens of millions in bets. Effectively bets, because this is just speculation. But then again, investment for all the people talk about, you know, the, the quant side of it and, and how solid it is, is oftentimes pretty indistinguishable from gambling. For good investors, it's basically a poker game. But for a lot of people, it's basically just roulette. Um, I think the concern now is that they're super pissed off and they may deliberately target other uh, other hedge funds 
that they'll effectively just go whale hunting and uh, deliberately try and take down hedge funds, which is hilarious on the face of it, but also slightly problematic given that uh, a lot of stuff invests in hedge funds. Although, as I said, if you're investing in something doing that level of shorts, that's kind of moronic. But um, yeah, so we could see like you know pension funds and the like start to fall. I don't. It's uh, I. You, you, you when you say what you're going whale hunting, I suddenly had a picture in my head. All oh, these four chan types, you know, base basement hippies, techy hippies in a in a whaling boat with a harpoon. And then, have you ever seen Monty Python's The Meaning of Life? Mm-hmm. You know that scene where the mutual the mutual assurance something assurance company, and they all turn into pirates. Oh yes, yes, and sail off. And that that's the image I have now. These guys roaming the street, roaming the, the highways and byways of the finan- the financial sector of London or Tokyo or New York, based and, and launching broadsides into the buildings of Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. So that's basically what's happening in a um, in a package. Is it long term important? Maybe not. Maybe it is. These guys can actually do some damage. It's like, um, you know, oftentimes people can do things, they just don't realise they can do things. And when one person does it, suddenly it goes from impossible to pretty common as other people start doing it. And I think what these guys have realised is that, um, yeah, a couple of people just shitposting on the internet can actually cripple a hedge fund if you do it in the right way. So, um, yeah, they're super pissed off at the time now because they think that effectively the... uh, the man try to shut down their um, uh, their trading and cost them you know potentially tens of millions of dollars and uh, yeah they may go out of their way to just start burning hedge funds which I will find very funny don't get me wrong when we get there when we get there and until then you know buy blockbuster stock don't 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 buy blockbuster stock like you're on you this is just penny stocks well they tend to be pennies for a reason so onto that too we were talking there before about the the HSE and how they had promised, actually, well, Stephen Donnelly had promised that they would uh, get daily vaccination numbers up so we could see what's happening on a daily basis, and they failed to do so. Well, they've come out with the reason that they have failed to do so, and I'm just going to quickly mention it, because to be totally blunt, it doesn't even rise to the level of a fucking excuse. So, Paul Reed, who is the CEO of the HSE, said that it will be a couple of weeks, at least, before the HSE publishes updated daily figures, because uh, the data being recorded is being recorded offline and spreadsheets then have to be manually incorporated into the HSE's systems. Now, Michael, that kind of sounds you know, like an amazing amount of data, doesn't it? And that's why it's so difficult. Like, thousands. I wish. Oh, I wish it was, Gary. I wish that we had thousands and thousands of bits of data that we had to download because we were bursting it out with our uh, vaccination program. However, Gary, no. Yeah, so they're um, they're basically saying that, well, there's too many nursing homes and we can't do it and we'd have to manually input it. Literally all you would need from the nursing homes, and there aren't thousands of nursing homes in this country. Well, not that are getting vaccinated anyway, no. I think it's about... I've heard 30. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but it may be total nonsense. All you would need is get them to add the numbers themselves and text you it or email you it and then you put them in one, you add them together yourself, and you put them there. You don't even need a spreadsheet. You could literally do it using a scrap of paper and a pen. You know what, let's push the boat out, let's go for a spreadsheet. There's a girl, in the, there's a bookkeeper who works down in the office of Liz Stoll. She can do a, a spreadsheet, I'm sure of it. Like, it will be several weeks before we can do this, because they're writing it down. Do you think? 
think that's why we're not writing it down? Or do you think the reason we're writing it down is that yesterday and the day before we were doing around 4,000 vaccinations in a day rather than, say, 35,000 vaccinations in a day? That's very um, that's very pessimistic, Michael. Do you think so? Well, here's, here's you, know, I'll be, I, I, you know, I'm all about being the fun. Um, we, have ta- we have done up to now 161,000. 147 uh, as of two days ago. Yeah, I th- well, I had 161 as of yesterday evening, I think. But that may be a projection rather than a note, right? Um, so, if we were vaccinating, if uh, if you look at the United, the United Kingdom, which has recently managed to get the number over, over... 500,000 a day and has now vaccinated 7,447,199 people with the first first, first dose. If we, were act, if we were doing this on a pro rata basis, allowing that the population of the United Kingdom is 75 million, which it probably isn't, we would be up at 500,000 vaccinated, Gary, which I think is like one third of where we actually are. Well, maybe slightly under. So, God, you know what, Gary? For a for a failed state, which is what we were told the United Kingdom was, which going out into the wilderness where it wouldn't be able. The the headline of the Guardian when they decided to do it was Tories decide to risk lives of Britons to, in order to own the EU. They're not doing too badly, are they? No, but Michael, you know, we do have to say they're doing it with their filthy, stolen AstraZeneca. They are doing it with their, their filthy, stolen AstraZeneca. That is absolutely true, Gary. And you know what else? Um, there's even, there's the, the, the news, it, the news for, uh, it just gets, it gets worse and worse for the for the old English there. Because you know the way they, uh, they got uh, 100 million doses of AstraZeneca mm-hmm. and we're struggling to get anything. And then they got so many doses of Pfizer. Well, the news has just been published that the vaccine made by Novak has, has efficacy rates and the trial data of 89%. And it works for... It works for the new variants. It works for the South African variants. It works for the British variants. It's the first one to be connected. Now, on a quick touch data, it looks to me like between... And also Johnson Johnson are coming in. As, it, as the, the UK is now has bought around 260 million vaccines that are going to be actually worth that actually work. No, I'm doubling the Johnson Johnson just for the sake of it because you have to have it and the, the Johnson Johnson is only one. So, point being, Gary, they definitely, most definitely have surplus vaccines. There is no doubt about that. At the, um, we started vaccinating on the 29th of December, didn't we? We did. That was the first one. So, looking at the data to the 27th, there are just over 160,000 people, 161,500 people have been vaccinated, of which mm-hmm. 13,800 is the second doses. Now, if we divide that across the days up to the 29th, that is a daily vaccination rate of 5,568 people. Now, that kind of, I would, that I would suspect is a bell curve. It starts low, goes up because we're in the hospitals and is now coming down because we're out in the uh, long-term care facilities. Mm-hmm. So it's probably 
below that, but that is that is kind of if you average it out. I would also like to say that the HSE have updated the COVID-19 dashboard, Michael. Before, if you clicked on click for more information, it's just said vaccine figures are provided by the HSE and will be regularly updated. Now, if you click on it, it says vaccine figures are provided by the HSE and will be regularly updated. Data is provisional and subject to ongoing validation. Data is provisional and subject to validation. So that should have taken about the same amount of effort to put in as daily vaccination figures. Considering, again, you just need to get the numbers from, let's say it is 30. Your 30 teams at the end of the day get them to email a single number. You don't need a breakdown and you add them together and you put them on the website. Yeah. Now, just on the subject, uh, the reason I, 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 I adverted again to, shall we say, the success and, uh, uh, of some and the failure of others, because I don't know if you noticed yesterday there was a bit of a kerfuffle involving Mark McSherry. Oh, and the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, Mark McSherry said he didn't that it would the whole thing had gone was ridiculous, and we should be going out and getting our own vaccine, even if we had to get it from the Ku Klux Klan. Now, the best bit about this, the best bit about this was that Mark McSherry then had to come out and clarify that he actually uh, was um, uh he condemned the Ku Klux Klan and everything they stand for and unreservedly withdraws his suggestion that Ireland would source a vaccine from them. Now, this has nothing to do with the vaccine or anything, but to me, that statement, Gary, is an absolute indictment of journalism in Ireland, politics in Ireland and the Irish people. That Mark McSharry was worried that people would think that his statement, things are so bad, we should take the vaccines, whatever we got them, even from the crocus plant, would be in some sources, it would be used to suggest that Mark McSharry endorsed the Ku Klux Klan. But more than that, that also that some people would imagine that the Ku Klux Klan indeed was a source of vaccines. <laughs> because even if they had it, Mark is now saying we shouldn't, we should not be going to the Ku Klux Klan to get our vaccines, Gary. I doubt they would sell to us, given that this is a largely Catholic country. Well, you know, they're, they're soft peddling that these days, apparently. You know, if you can be, if you, if you're, uh, if you can pass the not a drop rule. No, obviously they're not going to let Jews in, and obviously there are there are people who are white and they're white like Armenians. I mean, how white can they be? That kind. Ku Klux still have standards. Did you see the? Um, did you see the Republican Congresswoman? And talking about the the Jew space laser? No. <laughs> what? Okay, so <laughs> the congresswoman in America, um, called Marjorie Green, Marjorie Taylor Green. Now, someone found a, po- a Facebook page uh, from two years ago, from two thousand and eighteen, uh, and <laughs> it was about wildfires. Now there were really bad wildfires in California at the time. I think there were nearly 100 people dead, there were 1,000 people missing. And um, she basically started talking about the Jews causing this with a um, giant space laser. This was a, a member of Congress? This is a member of Congress. Oh my God, where is she from? It doesn't matter where she's from. If you're that mad, you can be from anywhere, I suppose. 
and has her comment met with uh, reser some reservations from her colleagues? I mean, is she still in? What's happened to her? Uh, well, this just this just came out the other day, so um, yeah. Well, I think I think you know it's been presented as if she said Jewish space laser, but what she actually said was Rothschild space laser. Oh, and that they were doing this because they wanted a high-speed rail project, and that they had used <laughs> this um, this space laser, which could be in the beam of which could be invisible, yeah. to clear the path for the railway, thereby setting fire to California. So she's a technician and an engineer as well already. Obviously, she knows she knows all the tech stuff. <laughs> so the, the Rothschilds want a high-speed. High-speed rail. Yeah, and you see, they'd, they'd launched this satellite, and it was gathering the sun's energy, and um, she said they're beaming it back to Earth, and that uh, she asked, I think, the legitimate question, Michael, that um, are you, you know, are you telling me that these have never missed a transmitter receiving station? Well, that is a reasonable question. I mean, as she says, Michael, who? I mean, mistakes are never made when anything new is invented. What would that look like anyway? A laser beam or light beam coming down to Earth, I guess. Could that cause a fire? I don't know. <laughs> God almighty. That is tremendous. Yeah, I didn't think we'd be talking about the giant um, giant Jewish space laser, but there you go. I just, I just look at the numbers here just very quickly. On the I get on the point of you know, who ordered what, whom, where. Remember, the Brits ordered this three minutes. Also, did all their ordering three months before everybody else did. So, their orders. They got a hundred million doses of the AstraZeneca, forty million doses of the Pfizer, and seventeen million doses of the Moderna. So that's one hundred and forty, hundred and fifty-seven in already. One hundred fifty-seven million working. Uh, another sixty of the. Hundred, 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 we'll call it 160, 160 of the Novamax, so that's 220, and then 30 million, which is 250, that's the Johnson & Johnson. Now, it also has the GlaxoKleinsmith Sophie Pasteur, so we'll, that's the French one, we won't talk about that. It has a, another 60 million Valneva, which actually is going to work, it's going to clinical stage 3, but as it stands, Either either approved or in phase finishing phase three, it's two hundred and fifty million doses. Two hundred and fifty million doses, effectively, or actually more. Did I did I double the dose for the Johnson and Johnson that time? Because they doubled. Anyway, point being, they're at least that covers at least one hundred and twenty million people. That's a lot of extra vaccine, Gary. Are you going to ask them? Will you go over? I I would. I'm going to say to the listeners out there, send in. Either your vouchers for Ryanair, or maybe if you have a boat, because I know that RTE are camped out at Dublin Airport to catch people coming in on aeroplanes and flying out on aeroplanes. So maybe if somebody has a boat in Dunleary or Oslair that we can put Gary on and send him over to England. Let's send Gary to England to ask the English nicely uh, if they'll give us a few of their old vaccines. Because you know what? Mark McSherry, Gary, was not wrong. Donnelly got up afterwards in the doll and said the TDs were going around saying McSherry was advocating, by the way, that we should take the Russian the Russian vaccine, Sputnik, that if we could get hold of it, we could 
which would buy it. But he didn't, and that was the point he was making with the KKK, I suppose, which didn't care who we got it from. Now, TDs going around suggesting we should go independently, you know, are either naive or misguided, whatever. To think that we could by ourselves go out into this incredibly competitive market, Gary, and pick up vaccines just like that. Because, you know, it's not like Ireland would have the purchasing power of Hungary, for example, that could manage to pick up two million, vac two million vaccines from the Russians. We could only dream of having the kind of economic muscle that Viktor Orban can flex in that mighty economic superpower on the Danube. I, it must be wonderful to have a country like that. Words we are so impoverished, we couldn't we couldn't even dream to do something like that. So Gary, there's only the only thing left to do: send you over. We're going to send you to London, and you're going to whoever you think is the best one to talk to. Maybe you go in there and see if we can a couple of million. That's all we need, just a couple of million to keep us going. Because let's face it, if we're down to four thousand shots a day, we're there's something not going right. You know, Michael, that was a very prescient point that you made. Uh, that is totally undermined by the fact that all I can hear in my mind now is the B-52s singing Jewish space laser over and over again. <laughs> Why the B-52s? I just think it's something they do. I don't know. Dead Kennedys. No, you get like, uh, you know, you know, some of the Violent Femmes. Yeah, no, no, some of the singing style in like Rock Lobster, except it's Jewish space laser. I think it works. Do you know, I can hear, you know, David Byrne? Mm. Talking heads. I could hear him doing it. In the style of like a 70s boy. Anyway, there you go. Listen, Gary, if you have to bring your Jewish space later with you, bring it with you. Fair point. So onto the Astra actual AstraZeneca thing. This will be, I think, relatively short because we touched on a lot of this in the last episode. There have been some really interesting developments in it. Uh, in one instance, the, the Belgians... Some people say raid. Some people say site inspection. Yeah, I like that site inspection. Yeah, of um, an AstraZeneca production plant in Belgium, the the Novacep plant. Uh, they turned up because the EU t asked them to turn up, and they turned up with an international coalition, I believe, uh, of at least French and Italian investigators as well, to go through the plant. Now, what the EU is suggesting has happened is that AstraZeneca took vaccines from that plant and brought them to the UK. Effectively, that AstraZeneca, the reason they can't meet their obligations is because they have diverted, um, they've diverted resources from Europe to Britain in an effort to make a greater profit, which would be interesting because AstraZeneca are saying they're not making a profit or they're, they're doing this not for, for profit motive. So that will be particular. What I found particularly revealing was the um, the Belgian health authorities, when they were asked about it, admitted they had done it. But then the explanation, the first line of the explanation started with, due to AstraZeneca's attitude. I love that. Their attitude. It, you're, it's like AstraZeneca have been called into the headmaster's office, haven't they? Uh, so why are we here? I mean, has he been... Has AstraZeneca not been putting in its homework? No, 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 homework is fine. Has there been a problem with others? No. Frankly, it's the attitude. It's just, it's, it's this, this, we don't like to see this in our, in our pharmaceutical companies here. Uh, you know, it's just, just, 
they need to they're, they're just they're lippy and surly and, and and you know that they're thinking badly of you but they don't come out and say it it's rotten attitude really you know that they're not going to get on in the world that kind of attitude gary not at all Michael. not at all now there is actually an interesting point here beyond the actual uh, the argument the eu are calling on astrazeneca to release the contract yeah sorry hold on hold on no the eu is demanding greater transparency from astrazeneca the eu is demanding greater yes folks you heard it transparency from astrazeneca mm-hmm. so i just want everybody to sit there just take it take it take a second out there let's meditate on that the eu is demanding greater transparency on astrazeneca yeah okay let's let's go on and let's try not to choke on our vomit and our laughter when we think about that the there is a legitimate point there from the eu that if there is not a um, if the contract doesn't say that it will only come from these sites then there is an argument that astrazeneca should import from their british production sites into europe to meet the um to meet the um, the expected supply. Uh, similarly, if it says that those factories are to be used purely for the European vaccine, if AstraZeneca was taking vaccines from them to send to England, that could also be an issue. So there is a, a legitimate point there. What I would suspect is happening, though, is that with the way we would expect the contract to be put together, and basically they say there, there was no as such... Um, there was a you know a, a good faith or um, uh, best effort. Best effort. Sorry, totally slipped my mind for a second. There was a best effort requirement of the contract. If that is the case, normally, so there's, when you're putting a contract, you can put in uh, delivery. So I will deliver a good to you at a certain point, and if I fail to deliver that good. I need to show that I took reasonable steps to provide it. And, you know, there was a, a force majeure event or something like that where I couldn't have I couldn't have delivered it. And it's not my fault. If you're working on a best effort thing, think of it like a, like a solicitor cannot uh, contract with you based on outcome. They can't say they'll get you off. They'll say they can make every effort to represent you to the best of their ability. That's a best effort. If in a, if you have a contractual dispute over a best effort clause or a contract with best effort clause in it, that reverses. AstraZeneca don't have to show that they did every reasonable thing. The EU has to show that they didn't. Now, that might be why they went into the site in uh, Belgium the other day, because they want to lay the groundwork for that, or they want to give AstraZeneca the idea that they're going to lay the groundwork for that. The line was that AstraZeneca AstraZeneca had been making out that there were some problems in upscaling production in the, in the Belgian site or there had been logistical problems there. And there had been voices in the EU which said actually there was nothing wrong with the Belgian plant that AstraZeneca had simply deliberately, perhaps, perhaps not deliberately, but had consciously over-promised on the, on the basis of what, what they reasonably knew about the, the, the supply chains they had there had in fact not been any problems in the belgian factory and this was just being used as an excuse so they were going to see if there were actually really any problems now that's what they're saying it could other people say it had nothing to do with that it was just a, a display of 
political power, I suppose. Gary, I don't. I I would be amazed if either side here is being fully frank and open about everything. Why? Sh what? I don't imagine that you have one side which is completely Simon pure and the other side which is utterly corrupt. But we can say, for example, one of the things that has been widely bruited about by certain voices connected if not actually from the commission saying that AstraZeneca were, were were getting more money from the Brits and it was you know they were commercial they were get, they were making money on that. AstraZeneca in response to this has been very cold they said that's absolute nonsense that everybody's getting charged the same and on the basis also that since this was done in conjunction with Oxford there's a just parenthetically there's an interesting little factoid Originally, Oxford was going to partner with Merck in the United States, but the British government went to them and asked them, no, don't do that. Go with the British, AstraZeneca is a British, British Swedish company. Go with this British company. We will put up a lot of the money to support you. Merck has just announced it is discontinuing its work on its vaccines. Uh, this failed. So yet another looks like a good choice from Boris and the boys, or the team at least that Boris appointed. Now, they're saying part of the deal with, because they were involved with Oxford, was that this vaccine would be sold at cost. It wasn't going to be a profit-making exercise, at least not for the first two, the, the first two years, the number of years, until the pandemic was globally controlled. After that, I don't know. So they're poo-pooing that. There was an article, I think we referred to before, which was published in La Repubblica, where the the chairman of AstraZeneca was absolutely clear and hard on that. Whether or not AstraZeneca themselves have, they they he also asked, he he argues that the Brits put the money down and put the order in three months in advance. Now, at the moment, Brussels are saying they want what is it seventy five million doses of the UK production diverted to Europe. Um, it seems to me not unreasonable that if you get if you're if you if you're first in the queue, like what was the line? That's all. That that kind of thinking is very is all right in the in the local butcher shop, but not in contracts. Well, if you get in there first and you order, then I I I don't see why you wouldn't have priority in production. I would like to to make a point here that it's not about the wrong or the right of the situation. Or even really, who's legally, uh, who who's fuck up this is? I think at this point it's now about how much force we can apply on AstraZeneca to get them to do what we want. Yeah, and they're saying nasty shit that isn't you know if you're not just if you're AstraZeneca if you if you're a company operating in Europe, you're it might make you feel a bit uncomfortable. It might. Now, I mean, Europe is going to make the argument that, weirdly enough, the the nationalist argument Michael that they have a duty to put their people above other people and that that's why they're doing it this is the same Europe which didn't do that anyway, oh god what's the point the, se where the, the commission only said last week that we should now be looking at sending vaccines abroad as they come in Yeah, or the commission that wouldn't uh, who'd refuse 200 million doses of Pfizer when they were offered extra vote in, in November and so on and so forth and let's not replow all of that land. Yeah, it's all a bit. I until, for example, the um, 
contracts are published. I mean, again, I, I referenced the, the Republica interview. In the Republica interview, the CEO guy, CEO of AstraZeneca did intimate that they had a best attempt contract. Now, we have, I think, seen a leaked version of a contract with CureVac. Yeah, I think we, we linked it below the last podcast. And that had many, many uh, best effort clauses. Yeah, so if that's... that. It doesn't seem unreasonable to be on the face of it to believe that what he's saying is accurate. Also, it's a kind of an odd thing to make a a positive statement like that, knowing that probably in the next couple of weeks you're going to be made out to be a barefaced liar if that isn't actually the case. But it seems to me what there's an awful lot of distraction going on. I don't think that maybe people in Ireland get this quite so much. People are getting a bit concerned about the rollout of the vaccine here, but I don't think they have maybe the sense of the level of political fire there is about the vaccine on continental Europe. Uh, Germany, Italy, France, Netherlands, etc. This is a hot burning issue and the Commission is desperately engaged in, uh, what do they call that activity? Displacement activity. Displacement and distraction. Say, no, 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 not us, not us. Bad, bad, bad pharmaceutical company, bad pharma. I mean, if... um if AstraZeneca did divert supplies to England, I think the EU is going to make that a real problem for them. Yeah. I did find it interesting, after the Republica article came out, the EU said that um, that AstraZeneca had breached the confidentiality requirements of the initial contract, and therefore the entire contract should be released. But he didn't say anything that wasn't immediately obvious. There are people playing politics way above up there, and there until the, everything is out and published. You know, e- even if then there's no way this works for the EU because even if they secure the vaccine, whether through legal force because AstraZeneca made a mistake or through political force, they get it. They're not going to get the credit first. National governments are going to take the credit. The EU is just all the negatives here, but none of the positives. I have enjoyed how imperious they've all been about this, this sort of, you will do this. Yeah. The EU commission figures are not, um, they don't really carry it. They don't really have the temperament for it. It's like a, you know, a very stern child telling you. And maybe that child has a way to force you, but you're still not going to be threatened by it. Well, you know, the old character, the Dickens character, is it's great expectations, is be humble, Uriah Eep. And his mother used to say to him, be humble, Uriah, be humble. I don't think anybody's ever said to the commission, or at least not that they took seriously, be humble, be humble, because humility is not something they do very well. We shall see. Hopefully, 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 we'll all get resolved. Somebody will find a magic bullet to get the the Belgian plant or whatever plant they want to be, I mean, just get vaccinated. I just want someone, Gary, to come along and send me a text and say, drop down to your chemist, drop down to the pharmacy, and uh, we're going to we're going to stick a thing in your arm, uh, along with hundreds of thousands of them. We're now being told that the, because of the shortages, our target of 700,000 vaccinations by the end of March doesn't look likely. I mean, it was... It didn't look like the most wonderfully ambitious target at the time. As I say, and maybe it's an unfair comparison, but if we had had, if we if we were being done at the same rate as the EU, the other UK, which 